This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Meffiotes here, coming to you from Gadigal land. On Wednesday, a four-day truce agreement was reached in Gaza. Today, we're bringing you an extra episode by our global news podcast, Today in Focus, looking at how this agreement was reached and what it means for the future of the war. Here's Today in Focus host, Michael Safi. Late on Tuesday night, after six weeks of war and more than 14,000 Palestinians and 1,200 Israelis killed, Hamas and Israel emerged with a deal to pause the fighting for at least a few days and release dozens of prisoners and hostages on both sides. It's the first remotely good news after weeks of bloodshed and carnage. So how would this deal work? Would it spell the end of the war or just the end of its first awful chapter? From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a truce in Gaza. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Roger, you're the Guardian's world affairs editor, and you're just back from a few weeks on the ground in Israel and the West Bank. Firstly, explain to me how these two groups who are engaged in a terrible war, Israel and Hamas, are also negotiating at the same time. Where are they doing it and how? They are doing it through the Qataris, who have long been the intermediaries between the US, the West and Hamas. Israel has historically had their own lines of communication. Benjamin Netanyahu famously has supported them in the past and delivered money to them in the past. But when it comes to the US, Europe and Hamas, Qatar is the meeting point. And so the Qataris in this case have stepped in and served as intermediaries on the hostage negotiations. And so why Qatar? How come they're the honest broker in between these two parties? Partly because they position themselves to be intermediaries, but reportedly the US had asked them to serve as host to the political wing of Hamas so that Hamas were accessible. The Americans, strictly speaking, can't sit in a room with them because of the terrorist designation. And so it'd be easier to sort of keep tabs on what Hamas was doing and thinking. So the Qataris say, well, you asked us to do this, but they're very willing to do so. They want a high profile. They want to be major players in the region. So it suits them too. Well, that role has proved to be pretty useful. 
Overnight, the Israeli government agreed to a deal with Hamas to exchange Palestinian prisoners, their women and children in Israeli custody, for 50 Israeli hostages taken on October 7, as well as a four-day pause in the fighting and additional aid sent into the territory. This all seems really positive, but in practice, how is any of it going to work? If you're a Palestinian in an Israeli prison, you're from Gaza, do you get released back into Gaza with everything going on there? I think that is likely. We have a precedent, and that is the poet Mossab Abu Toa, who was picked up, rounded up with other Palestinian men on Sunday. We hear he has been released into central Gaza by the IDF. That suggests that they have a way in and a way of delivering Palestinians into central and southern Gaza. Julia, tell me about some of the challenges in reaching a deal, starting with the Hamas side. I mean, their leadership is split between the political leaders in Doha and the military leaders in Gaza. In those circumstances, what do we know about the demands that both of those wings are pushing? We have heard that there are different points of view between the political leadership in Doha and Yahya Sinwar in Gaza, the leader in Gaza. Difference in outlook, difference in tactics, and also logistical issues. We hear that Sinwa communicates by writing messages, passing messages along, because he's seeking not to be picked up by Israeli electronic intelligence. So there is a delay in these negotiations with messages going into the Gaza leadership and then waiting for a response out. I mean, that's incredible that... In the course of this negotiation, one of the choke points is that the leader of Hamas, wherever he is, presumably deep underground in a tunnel or something, has to actually handwrite his instructions and has to make it all the way back to Doha. Yes, and of course, they appear to have done this for a while in terms of both the military and the political leadership inside Gaza did this because that is how they evaded Israeli intelligence when it came to mounting the 7th of October attack, just resorting to old-school passing of messages that couldn't be picked up by the Israelis. So what do we know about Yahya Sinwa, the head of Hamas in Gaza? He was a Israeli political prisoner held for several years and released under an earlier prisoner deal. And while in Israeli jail, we know he taught himself Hebrew and learnt a lot about the Israelis and the Israeli military. And so it's long seen by the Israeli security establishment as the most dangerous among the Hamas leadership. And tell me about those different views within Hamas about a ceasefire, because obviously Gaza is being obliterated. How much pressure is that putting on the group to just negotiate, do what they have to do to end this? I think both a political and military wing and the leadership in Gaza at least are on the same page when it has come to the desire for a ceasefire for the hostages, because that is why they took the hostages. Hmm. Where there have been tactical differences is over keeping those negotiations going, because after some of the bigger airstrikes, for example, in the Javalia refugee camp, a major airstrike with mass casualties, the leadership inside Gaza has cut off and dropped out of the negotiations, whether that was for just the logistical reasons that they were out of touch or whether they deliberately cut off the negotiations, not always clear, but it has taken then time, the leadership inside Gaza, to be coaxed back to the table 
in terms of doing a deal on the hostages. What do we know about any pressure Hamas might be feeling from people in Gaza, from the extraordinary suffering that they've been through? Do you think that is pushing them to the table at all? I think Hamas leadership are, compared to the people of Gaza, well insulated from this military campaign. They have stocks. They are relatively sheltered within this famous bunker network that they have, bunkers and tunnels. So from their point of view, they aren't under as much pressure as the Gazan people. And also, if this deal comes off, then that works in their favour. They could be seen to be the ones who win a ceasefire and also potentially the release of Palestinian prisoners long held in Israeli jails. And then it sounds like the tougher party to bring to the table was Israel. What do we know about the tensions around Benjamin Netanyahu, about whether to make a deal or not, and what kind of deal to make? Yes, what we do know is that Netanyahu and the hawks on the cabinet and in the IDF have turned down a series of previous hostage deals involving the release of women and children, elderly and sick, in return for a five- or three-day ceasefire. We know that's been turned down and that there were tensions, for example, between Mossad and its leader, David Barnea, and the hawks in the government. Barnea and the CIA director, Bill Burns, have travelled to Qatar and have seen to be the most open to a hostage negotiation. But it has, on a number of occasions, collapsed when it's gone back to Tel Aviv for a OK by the Israeli cabinet, because it's a very right-wing cabinet. And also, there was a seems to have been a view inside the IDF that they wanted to keep Hamas under pressure, to keep them on the run, and didn't want to pause to give them the opportunity to regroup. And that view, the military view, may have changed in the intervening weeks and days because they have made progress on the ground. They may feel that now they are prepared to have a pause. They may feel that they've already done the damage they wanted to do initially to Hamas. And how intensely do you think they'd be feeling pressure from the families of hostages, many of them demonstrating outside government buildings, saying, do what it takes to bring our families home, even if it means a ceasefire? Yeah, absolutely. That is a very immediate and constant pressure. There have been meetings with the cabinet and the hostage families that have broken down into yelling matches. It is deeply damaging and troubling for this cabinet because the families are on TV every day and the cabinet is coming across as being unfeeling unresponsive. It took Netanyahu a long time before he met the families for the first time. So this is a deeply unpopular government that is aware that at some point they had to respond to the families and their demands. We know who the Israeli hostages are and how they got to be in Gaza, but what about these Palestinian women and children who will be released from Israeli jails in a deal? Who are they and what are they doing in jail to start with? There is a long history of detention without trial 
by the Israeli Defense Forces, by the Israeli security establishment. There are a lot of Palestinians in detention, including teenagers and women, because often whole families are picked up in Israeli sweeps, mostly through the West Bank. And so if there are releases from Israeli detention, a lot of those will be West Bankers. In the kind of dream deal that Hamas could get, who would they want released from these prisons? Like when they took these Israeli hostages, who were they really hoping to spring from jail? Well, there are a large number of political prisoners in jail, including senior members of Hamas, but also non-Hamas political leaders like Marwan Barghouti. So they would not only replenish their own ranks, but their claims to Palestinian leadership would be strengthened to be the group that is able to do something, to have some effect, because the Palestinian Authority is absolutely powerless to get Palestinians out of jail to protect Palestinians on the West Bank. And so this is ultimately is about who are the legitimate leaders of the Palestinian people. And for them to be able to spring not just Gazans but West Bankers too from prison would be a big success for them. Coming up, what this deal tells us about the state of the war right now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Julian, why do you think this deal may be happening now? What do you think it tells us about the state of the war on the ground in Gaza now about six weeks in? I think it shows that the IDF feels that it has inflicted serious damage on Hamas. The idea that they are ready to take a pause suggests that they feel that they have been successful in that aim of degrading Hamas as a military force. From now on, it gets much tougher in that they ordered northern Gaza cleared so that they could have sort of free fire or at least they could convince themselves, tell themselves that they could have a free fire zone in northern Gaza because they had ordered the population to leave. Now the next stage that they have announced is they want to go south into Khan Yunus. And they are under intense pressure from the Americans to make that a far more precision affair and not to have a repeat of Gaza City with whole neighbourhoods flattened. So with every week, it gets harder for the IDF in terms of the room for manoeuvre they're being given by their primary backer, of course, the US. What will happen 
once this truce begins. Do you think there's going to be diplomatic efforts to build on it, to make it longer, maybe even a permanent ceasefire? Or do you think it's just going to be a pause for both sides to rearm and then as soon as it ends, we're just back where we started? I think there will be intense diplomatic pressure to use this as a window that can be opened further to put more things on the table, to use it as a confidence-building step for further steps forward in terms of bringing this to an end. Now, whether the two main parties would be receptive to that is another question. It depends on whether they believe they have met their aims. And I think it's unlikely that the IDF would be responsive to making this the beginning of the end of their campaign. They've already stated their objectives about taking their campaign into Khan Yunis. And there are also, of course, big questions on implementation of this deal. Can Hamas, for example, deliver the prisoners? They are reportedly spread around, not just being held by Hamas, but other groups like Palestinian Islamic Jihad as well. Can they deliver those hostages being held by other groups? Can they get the hostages from where they're being held to somewhere where they can be turned over to the Israeli Defense Forces? All of this is up in the air, as is the question, if there was Israeli airstrike, would the whole deal collapse? So, I mean, getting a deal is hard enough, but it sounds like what you're saying is, even once a deal is in place, it can be an incredibly fragile thing. So far, Hamas have handed over four out of an estimated 240 hostages. It wasn't easy, and this is a far more ambitious task in terms of handing over their prisoners and done at a time when they are hiding in bunkers deeper under the ground and those bunkers are being watched by the Israelis. It will be logistically hard for them to get those hostages into Israeli hands without giving away a lot about where the Hamas leadership are hiding themselves. That's incredible. Even the process of handing hostages back itself is incredibly fraught. Absolutely. You're crossing lines and trying to get people through what is now largely rubble in the Gaza Strip. Julian, finally, what does the fact that these sides are talking tell you about the possible future trajectory of this war that I think everyone agrees absolutely terrible? I don't know what it says about the chance for a negotiated end to this war. This is, in the views of the Israelis, a very self-contained issue, the issue of hostages. They don't see it as joining up with any kind of long-term agreement about the future of Gaza. And from everything I hear, there is no plan. Hmm. There is no plan being actively discussed about the day after because the Israelis are not for the time being, interested in having that discussion. And there's no one in the region or further afield who is ready to step in and take over the vast security, humanitarian, political tasks that would face anyone going into the Gaza Strip now. Overall, this is all still heading in a really bad direction. Absolutely. And there is no clear end in sight. There is no plan for the day after. Joe Biden and his administration talk very hopefully about Palestinian rule being restored 
to Gaza under the Palestinian Authority, giving fresh impetus to the idea of a two-state solution. But all of this is wishful thinking. There aren't active plans being discussed. There is no plan that anyone agrees on. So that means there is no end in sight to this Israeli military campaign. Well, we might see some hostages freed and people in Gaza getting at least some relief, which I guess is something. Julian, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. That was Julian Borger, The Guardian's World Affairs Editor, speaking to Michael Safi. For more reporting and analysis on this truce, go to theguardian.com. This is a rapidly evolving story, so you can read the latest updates there. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Courtney Youssef, sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson. Additional production by Daniel Simo. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX 10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.